Hello, this is Don McPherson, your host of 12 Geniuses. For season 10 of the podcast, I am interviewing a dozen futurists about what life will be like for humans 30 to 50 years from now. Today's guest is futurist and leadership expert, Jacob Morgan. He's a four-time best-selling author, keynote speaker, and futurist focused on leadership, employee experience, and the future of work. In our conversation, Jacob paints a picture of life in 2053 with a focus on where technology meets the workplace. He describes a world where everyone has advanced AI personal assistance, mountains of data to help us optimize performance at work and at home, and how the metaverse might develop over the next three decades. We finished the interview with Jacob's thoughts on the future of leadership and his predictions on what workplace technologies will soon become obsolete. Jacob, welcome back to 12 Geniuses. Thank you for having me. My first question for you is if you can paint a picture for what life is going to be like in 2053 and you can choose a particular domain or you can choose life in general. So 2053... Even when you think back 30, 40, 50 years, you could see that there are some very big differences and then some differences that are uh, virtually non-existent. So for example, everybody, a lot of people still have a job. A lot of people go to an office where they commute. I mean, a lot of people now virtually, but you still have a job, you still pay your bills, you still do a lot of things the way that you always used to do them. But of course, now we have all these crazy technologies like the internet, like ChatGPT, like cell phones, computers, like all this amazing stuff that kind of enhances how we do those things. So when I'm kind of looking 30 years in the future, I would imagine a lot of similar stuff is going gonna, is gonna to be there. I think a lot of people will still be working. I don't think offices are going to go away. I think a lot of people are going to be going to an office. I think the concept of work will still very much be there the way that it is now. But I do think where the big differences are going to be are in relation to the technological progress that we have. So, you know, 30 years from now, it's hard to imagine a scenario in which everybody doesn't have a personal virtual digital assistant, something like ChatGPT. It's hard to imagine a scenario in which everybody isn't doing their jobs in some capacity with something like ChatGPT, assisting them and helping them in a way. I imagine a world where we have a lot in terms of um, data analytics, just personal analytics on ourselves. What makes us productive? What types of work should we be doing? Like everything will be very optimized and data-driven as far as where we should be, how we should be working, who we should be working with, how we can become better. It's really, and we see a little bit of that today with, uh, you know, with Fitbits, with Apple Watches, things of that nature. But imagine that kind of like 10X and apply it inside of organizations as well. You know, the hours that you should be working, who's a good teammate, who's not. Like, I, you can imagine it's going to get to a pretty crazy level. Um, so I think we'll definitely see some major changes there. Hopefully by then, self-driving cars will be more commonplace. But we'll see because we've talked about that for decades. Augmented and virtual reality, I think, will be a little bit more commonplace. Although, again, we thought that it would be more mainstream now, but it's not really. So I think a lot of the traditional aspects of life and work will be the same. They're just going to be enhanced and modified by how we use technology in our daily lives. It seems as you were describing AI, the reference point we could use is, is the smartphone. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. You know, when looking at the future, it's hard to imagine what things will be transformative versus what things will just be improvements. So when I say transformative, I mean something that will allow you to do things that you weren't able to do before. So for example, the smartphone was transformative. It allowed us to do things that we weren't able to do before. But if you look at the evolution of the smartphone, 
you could just see it kind of as being more of an improvement instead of a transformation because the technology will be there. It'll just get better, more efficient, more cool stuff. Again, contact lens or something that's on your wrist. It's improved. It's not transformative. ChatGPT, something like AI, I think will be transformative because it really allows you to do things that you weren't able to do before to unlock new things. So I think AI has the potential or will actually be a transformative technology. Driverless cars, again, potential to be transformative technology, augmented virtual reality, transformative technologies. So there's kind of, I put it into those two camps. You spend a lot of your time talking about leadership. You do keynote speeches on leadership. You, you write books on it and you've got a book coming out on leadership. How do you think leadership is transformed over the next 30 years? Are there a few things that you're looking at? Maybe it's representation. Maybe it's the types of things that leaders are doing. What do you see there? Going back 30 years, when we think about leadership, again, you could see some things that are very relevant, right? Being able to set a vision, being able to execute on that vision, being able to put together an effective team, being able to delegate, like those things have always been very, very important. Listening, communication, right? Things of that nature. I'd say a lot of the the new things that have emerged lately are around emotional intelligence, well-being, employee experience, some of the more human attributes inside of our organizations. I'd say that's a relatively new phenomenon when we look at the history of leadership. These are these are becoming very mainstream things now, and I think the pandemic has really pushed those things into the mainstream conversation. So looking 30 years from now, I suppose you can imagine different scenarios coming up. One, which could be potentially not a great scenario, is we revert back, right? You know, I've heard some people argue that we've gotten too much. We've moved, the pendulum has swung too much in the direction of talking about emotions and feelings and well-being. And maybe the pendulum is going to swing back to the old ways of doing things where it's kind of just like, do your job, keep things to yourself. Like you're here because you're supposed to work. You're not here because of those other types of, you know, we don't care about your feelings kind of thing. That's certainly an option, certainly a possibility. I don't think it's a very likely one. And I think the other option is that we start to see more of these conversations becoming more mainstream. So if you look at the conversations we're having today about mental health and well-being and emotional intelligence, I mean, imagine the things that technology will be able to do for you in 30 years. Imagine being able to have a smart assistant in your ear that can help guide you on the conversations that you should be having with your people the things that you should be saying, where it can read your emotions and tell you when you need to take a break, where it can read the emotions of other people and help you craft a message that's best suited to, you know, the, the tone of the room, something that can tell you, you know, maybe you have like these rejuvenation pods that you go to that can, you know, using science and data and analytics will give you the nutrients, the sun, the vitamins that you need to feel more refreshed and be able to be more productive and engaged. So we can certainly take that to the extreme in 30 years, but it's not hard to imagine something like that happening. Last thing I want to talk about before we move on to the next question is AR and VR and maybe even the, the metaverse. Could you just talk about how that plays into work uh, over the coming decades? Well, I think that the metaverse is, is not there, that a lot of employees don't want AR and VR or they're not using it and we don't have the, the adoption that you know, was once talked about. You know, the big clunky headsets, you can't have them on for a long time because you start to get nauseous and dizzy. You know, I've tried that. I've experienced that. It's not fun. And so I think today we're nowhere near the adoption and the level of where we can be. But 
can you imagine a scenario in 20, 30 years where that changes? Can you imagine a scenario where you have kind of like a ready player one, right? It's a, you know, a very famous book where basically a lot of people live in this digital environment. You know, they, they, they go home, they put on their headsets and a lot of their time is spent in this digital world. There was another movie on Amazon. It was a show, a show called Peripheral on Amazon, which again, was very much about that augmented and virtual world. So if technology gets to the place where it needs to go in the next 15, 20, 30 years, yeah, I mean, you can imagine a scenario when we are actually doing a lot of work in a digital world or even living in a digital world. Today, it's not anywhere near where it can or needs to be. It's clunky, the graphics, the resolution, like nothing is, is there yet. But look, I mean, so much technology advancement can happen in, in even 10 years, let alone 30. So I, I definitely think in the next three decades, we'll be at a point where it'll be, it'll be some pretty uh, powerful and interesting things that we'll be seeing. Yeah, without a doubt. And it, all you need to do is just think back to 1993. Imagine riding a bus or a subway back then everybody would be looking at a book or a magazine or a newspaper. There were no digital devices back then, and now they're ubiquitous. So, you know, it's, it's not too hard to imagine. Or even the first time you logged onto the internet, it was probably dial-up and how slow that was, even just loading a single image. And now we have that available on our phones. It's, it's amazing. I mean, you can imagine the scenario, right? And I don't know if it'll be 30 years or how long, but in, you know, instead of a bus, you have like this self-driving electric bus and instead of people getting in there and sitting down, they sit, you know, they get into the bus, they're strapped into the, you know, the, the wall of the bus, they put on their headsets and while the bus is driving, everybody's in their kind of virtual world. And then one by one, you kind of unplug when you get to your stop and exit. So instead of chairs, instead of seats, you kind of just have straps all around all, along the bus so that you can always be in this virtual world. That to me is terrifying. I watch and I love science fiction, right? And it's kind of like, uh, remember there was that cartoon Wally, where basically at a certain point, people weren't even getting off of their chairs and everybody was morbidly obese and unhealthy. Like you could see that as being a very real danger where, I mean, look at what's going on with social media now and how addicted we are. Imagine that on, on steroids multiplied 10x, where you, you prefer to live in a digital world instead of a real world. You would want to spend all of your waking time there. And you could imagine this, the implications that that would have on your actual relationships, on your body, on your mental health, your physical health. You know, so I think we're going to need to be thinking much more carefully about the role that technology plays in our personal and in our work lives in the coming decades, especially as it becomes so, so good. So the next question I have to ask you is, and I've been interested in this topic recently, maybe the past four or five years, cancel culture and, you know, judging people in in the past based on the mores or social conventions of today with the uh, the idea that you know right now is how we'll always live and that's not true so this question is what are humans going to be in 2073 looking back at what we're doing today and just shaking their head in disbelief oh man Probably so many things. I think some of it will come down to technology, right? Some of it will come down to, wow, you had a laptop or wow, that's what your phone looked like. That's the kind of camera you had. So I think a lot of it, like my daughter, right? I have a seven-year-old. She's never going to know what a CD player is or a DVD player. Like she's, she's no concept of any of these things. A radio, like it's just, you know. So when she grows up, she's going to look back and be like, you had to do what? 
you had to like burn your own CDs with your own music on it and you had like a CD player. Like it's going to be a foreign, foreign concept to her. Right? CR, like what the hell? So I think we'll definitely have a lot of that when it comes to technology and probably literally every aspect of technology, we will look back and say, wow, I can't believe that's how things got done. But beyond the technology side, I think we will look back and look at, you know, we live now in a very polarizing time. We live now in a very, it's hard to even know what's real and what's not, right? It's, if, if you follow the news, you look at things like the Twitter files, you look at uh, what's going on with, you know, the woke movement, you look at what's going on with politics. Like it's really, it's really hard to discern what to believe, what not to believe, who to trust, what not to trust, what's right, what's wrong. Like it's, it's kind of hard to figure out where, I guess it comes down to that question, right? What's right and what's wrong? What do you believe? What do you not believe? And so I think a lot of people will look back at this point in time as a pivotal time in history where it was kind of like, wow, there was just such a blending of all of these things. And I think in 70 years, we'll probably have more of a separation of these things. Or who knows, maybe it'll be the opposite. Maybe government will own all social media. Maybe we'll go completely in the other direction where the government is going to own Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and TikTok. It's all going to be like, you know, we're living in China. Or, or maybe it'll be the exact opposite where we see more of that bifurcation and split. So it's really hard to, to tell. But I think a lot of people will just look back at this time and say, man, it was just chaotic. What the hell was going on there? You know, how did you know what to believe, what not to believe? I mean, that's, that's kind of how I wake up when I look at some of the stuff that's going on on Twitter and the news now. So I, I think that'll be a big one. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of trust and this becomes a superpower. There are so many emails that I get or even calls and I'm like, is this a person or is this just AI? And I'm like, I have no interest in it. And I have a little process for trying to vet, you know, whether, whether they are AI or, um, or some sort of bot. And I have no interest in doing business with, with anybody who is trying to masquerade as a real person. And so I think that maybe the pendulum sh shifts toward these very trusted relationships. And hopefully we start to create and cultivate these very trusted relationships. Yeah. I mean, maybe 70 years from now, people look back to this point and say, how could you not know? And when I say, how could you not know? I mean, that would be a broad question as far as like, how could you not know that's a bot versus a human? How could you not know that that was fake? You know what I mean? Like, cause we're going to have just so much advancement when it comes to technology that it's going to be, I think, hard for people to understand in today's world that we couldn't separate because I think in 70 years from now, like it'll be very clear, you know, what's AI, what the bots are. It's sort of, I mean, look at, and again, you take your cues from a lot of science fiction stuff out there, right? Whether you look at something like a Star Wars or whether you look at, again, Peripheral or any of these other shows, although the AI is very, very good, you could tell that it's AI because these things are taking robotic forms. They are communicating in a robotic, like you, you know, when you're watching something like Star Wars or a science fiction movie, what's a bot and what's not. Again, you can go to the opposite extreme. Like Isaac Asimov, he has a series of books called, you know, iRobot. And in that series, you kind of don't know who's a human and who's not. So you can see all these different potential scenarios emerging over the next 50 to 70 years. It's really hard to know which one is actually going to take shape.
Is there anything work-related that really strikes you as, oh, this is going to be obsolete very soon, whether it's, you know, the pay gap or, you know, how we're leading or who we're leading? I think anything like email is going to be, a lot of the like mundane things that we do, I, I think email is going to be obsolete. I think when it comes to decision-making, everyone's going to have an AI or a virtual kind of counterpart that guides them. I think the vast majority of strategic business decision-making is going to be done by technology, done by technology and approved by a human. You know, I think in 50 years from now, you're going to be able to ask whether it's ChatGPT or whatever the, the platform is going to be, you know, what should I be doing with my business? How should I be doing this? And the computer is going to be able to give you uh, a, a full strategic direction and plan and analysis and explain everything to you. And, you know, you're ultimately as the human going to have to make that decision. But I think we're going to get to a point where technology can do anything in 50 years that a human can do now. And that's going to be a pretty big change. In 50 years, will business be serving shareholders, customers, employees, or humanity in general? Well, ideally, you want a little bit all of the above, right? What was it a couple of years ago? The business roundtable said the purpose of capitalism is no longer just about shareholder value, it's stakeholder value. And, you know, that, that concept has gotten a lot of pushback in some circles, right? Where some people say, no, a business should be just about a business. And some people say, no, a business should be about doing more. It should be about positively impacting the environment and communities, the places in which it serves. So, yeah, I mean, I would hope that in 50, 70 years that businesses are, you know, doing all of the above. The reason that it's been on my mind is obviously the big problems that we have are global problems, right? Climate change. And, and it seems like we can't just solve these country by country. We have to be unifying in, in this fight. I mean, even with climate change, right? It depends on who you talk to. You see some people talk about climate change and then you see other people, what's his name? Bjorn Lundberg writing books called False Alarm, which talks about that climate change is not the emergency that a lot of people think it is. So it's, I don't think anybody's able to agree on anything is kind of the, <laughs> not the anymore, point, right? It's, sure. it's, it's really, really hard, which, I, you know, a little scary. I know you have a new book coming out. It's called Leading with Vulnerability. And it's coming out in October. What are people going to learn with that book? Uh, I interviewed 100 CEOs and surveyed 14,000 employees. And really the goal of the book is to show that everybody knows what it feels like to be vulnerable, but very few people know what it means to lead with vulnerability. And the whole point of the book is to show that vulnerability for leaders is not the same as it is for everybody else. So for example, if you're running a big company and you show up to work, actually, I can give you an actual example. It's one of the stories from the book. And it's the story of Hollis Harris. And he used to be the CEO of Continental Airlines. And, you know, in, when he was the CEO several decades ago, he showed up to his company one day and he said, our company is at war with internal and external forces. I don't know what we're going to do. Pray for the future of the company. Right? He said this to 42,000 employees. Now, on the one hand, that's a very vulnerable thing to say. Right? I don't, I don't know what to do. You know, pray for the future of the company. And a lot of people would say, wow, that's so vulnerable. It's vulnerable, but there's no leadership. So, you know, the, and this is what the CEO of American Airlines, Doug Parker, told me when we spoke. And he said that that's the big problem. There is a difference between being vulnerable versus leading with vulnerability. Being vulnerable is showing up to work and saying, I don't know what we're going to do. Leading with vulnerability says, you know what? I don't know what the next, you know, I don't know what path and strategy we should take, but here's what I do know. 
I know we have a talented team. I know we have capable people. I have a vision and a direction of where we can go. And together, we're going to figure out how to get there. Being vulnerable is showing up to work one day and saying, hey, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Leading with vulnerability is saying, hey, you know what? I made a mistake. I'm sorry. Here's what I learned from that mistake. And here's what I'm going to do to make sure that that mistake doesn't happen again. So I think the, what we see inside of organizations is that I argue we don't need or want vulnerability. We need and want leading with vulnerability, which is a big, big difference. And so really what the book, the book does is it provides a lot of frameworks and research and statistics and examples of, of how to put that into, into play, into practice, and how to actually lead with vulnerability inside of your company, which I honestly believe is the single most important thing that a leader can do to lead through change, to create trust, to unlock the potential of others, and to drive business performance. And it brings together, I think, two very important elements, which are competence and connection. So being good at your job and being able to connect with other people, leadership and vulnerability. And I just don't think that gets talked about at all inside of organizations. Outstanding. Where can people find the book? Leadwithvulnerability.com is where the book is going to be easily displayed and found. My website is The Future Organization. So people can email me, connect with me. I'm always happy to chat with people and share things with them too. But the book itself, leadwithvulnerability.com. I'm thrilled that we had an opportunity to connect again. Jacob, thank you for your time and thank you again for being a genius. Thank you for listening to 12 Geniuses. We will return next week with the final Summer 2023 Futurist Friday conversation. Thank you to Richard Jocelyn for producing this show. To subscribe to 12 Geniuses, please go to 12geniuses.com. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a genius.